Thank you for joining us on the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast, a podcast of preaching and teaching from the ministries at Fellowship Baptist Church. Fellowship Baptist Church exists to gather, grow, give, and go for the glory of God. In the Bible, there are many passages that tell you how to live, many passages on on ethical, moral concepts, do this, don't do that. The Bible gives us a lot of stories of inspiration and, uh, and looking at different characters, but we must remember that there, are, there is a key to the whole of the Bible, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are some passages that just really make it very clear, and that's one of these today. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, we see the very core of the Bible, the very core of our message, the very core of the reason that we are here. This is the center. This is the reason that all things hold together. This is the good news that transformed your life, that transformed my life. It's the good news of God's rescue of his people. And taking them from a land of darkness and putting them into a land of light, of rescuing them from where they were and transferring them into where they would be, into his presence. And this news is not something that we simply heard, but it is something that has transformed your life. If you are a Christian, this message is the message that you heard and have based your entire life and all your hope upon the message that's found in these two verses. It defines you. It defines us as a people who have been rescued, who have been redeemed, who have been bought back by the God who loves them. And that's what I want us to see today. Today, I want us to remember again with fresh eyes and with, 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 with new hearts the grandness and the beauty of the story of God and how he has taken the people that were enslaved to darkness and to sin and has taken them from that bondage and ripped them out and put them into the kingdom of his son. Today we're going to talk about that great rescue. We're going to celebrate it together. My prayer today is that God would grant us eyes and hearts that would be able to see clearly what he has to say to us today. And so the main point today is this. Through Jesus, you can be rescued from sin's punishment and freed from sin's power. It is only through Jesus that you and I can be freed from the punishment that is due for our sins and the power of sin over our lives. Jesus does this for you. He does this for me. He does this great and magnificent work that has transformed this world for the past 2,000 years and continues to do so as the gospel is being proclaimed around the world. So today, I want us to grasp hold of that and to remember that and to realize that this isn't just a place where we come because we have friends in common. This is a place where blood bought brothers and sisters gather together. So let's talk about that together today. 
I want us to realize as we look at this passage that we were enslaved to the power of darkness because of our sins. Notice how Paul puts it. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Notice that, that, that domain of darkness, that we have been delivered from this domain. That word domain can mean power or control. It is the authority of darkness was, was over us. Now, what does he mean by darkness? What, what is he trying to get across when he uses that word darkness? Well, I think that is two things that we need to recognize. First is this, that darkness is a power over us, it is an authority over us. It is a ruling power over all people. They are enslaved to sin and enslaved to darkness. Darkness, when we're in it, causes confusion. Darkness causes fear. We're afraid of the dark. We want light, and we don't like that. When we walk around in our bedrooms at night trying to get to the restroom, we bump into things. It creates this confusion, this fear. It leads us down a wrong path. It is an evil that rules over all people. It controls their lives. We are captive to this evil power, and Satan, as the head of darkness, controls all of his citizens and leads them in rebellion against God Almighty. It, it, the power of darkness drives people to follow the very demands of Satan. This picture is, is similar to that of Pharaoh who had, who had enslaved the people of God and made them do his bidding, made them create his temples, made them follow his path. Darkness is a power that presses down on God's people that abuses his humanity. But darkness is not simply a power over us, as if we were trying to get out of the darkness but just could not. See, darkness is also a power in us. We are enslaved to sin because we want to be, because we desire the darkness. See, unlike the Israelites who cried out, to God for freedom. We do not cry out to God for freedom. We enjoy our slave master. Slavery does lead to sin, but our sinful hearts also willingly follow a dark and deceitful master. And so in one sense, we are victims, yes, but we are also willing victims of sin's power and authority in our life. Notice how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 107, verse 10. He says, Some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons. For they had rebelled against the words of the Most High and spurned the counsel of the Most High God. Notice that. It says that they were prisoners in affliction and the reason that they are imprisoned here, it says, is because they rebelled against the God who made them. There is a reason for our imprisonment. And it's because we have rebelled and ignored the instruction of God. Romans 1, 20-21 confirms this when it says, So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice, the initiative of rebelling against God creates a foolish, darkened heart. 
John also says this when he writes in John 3. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. Notice the condemnation that is there for all people. There's a hatred for God and for the light. You see, you and I are those people. That is not just somebody else. That is not just the really bad folks, however we want to label them. That is every person that has ever been born bears this very weight of sin. And so we are willing victims to the power of darkness in us. And, and, and that power is stronger than us. It, we can't overcome us. And it's so embedded into our hearts, as John says, that we love it and hate God. And so we have darkened hearts and we are ruled by a dark master. And we turn against the one who loves us and who wants what is best for us. And this all-encompassing power that is inside of us and is outside of us infects every single human being that has ever been born on this planet. In a world that is completely disunified, that has factions politically, factions socially, we are united in one thing, and it is this, that we love the darkness and hate God. And the results, the results of those who continue in this path, who continue to rebel against God, is the full, righteous, and terrible judgment of God. Jesus describes it as an outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the pain is so real that you grind your teeth together. In Revelation, it says the smoke of their torment goes up before the Lamb forever. There is no relief and there is no release. It is an eternal place of fire and judgment and separation and darkness. Thomas Watson, a Puritan, said of hell, the wicked in hell shall be always dying but never dead. The smoke of the furnace ascends forever and ever. Oh, who can endure thus to be ever upon the rack? This is the fate that it deservedly awaits every single one of us, every single one of our children, every single one of our friends. But praise the Lord. That darkness does not have the final word. See, God sends his son to rescue his people from the very power of darkness inside of them and over them. But we must remember what we have been rescued from. It is not a cheap grace. It is not a small thing. It is not a minimal forgiveness. It is not that we were just not perfect. And we just needed Jesus to, to fix our imperfections. Like sanding a piece of wood and just, I need to get the knots out. I just need to make sure that it's, that it's a little bit smoother. That is not what is going on with us. 
you and I were headed perfectly straight forward towards hell and the judgment of God, and we totally deserved it in every way, and yet God stepped in our path and sent his own son to save us. Notice what it, how Paul puts it. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has delivered and transferred us into the kingdom of his son because we did not free ourselves. We are unable to do that and unwilling to do that. So therefore, we must be rescued. If anybody is going to save us, it is not going to be us. We need, we need a Savior. We need one who is strong enough, righteous enough, able enough to save us from our own sins and the power of sin over us. Without the power of God and the grace of God, no one would be free from the power of darkness. But this, And what we need to recognize is the same one that we have offended, the same one that we have rebelled against, the same one we have sinned against, it's the same one who, do, who willingly comes and rescues us from our sin. Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension puts, uh, puts to death the very power of darkness. It disarms Satan and sin. It unshackles your heart so that now you can see the light for what it truly is. Jesus coming to earth is invading enemy territory to rescue his people and to bring them out of darkness and bring them into his light. If you and I are Christians, we have benefited from this great rescue. We were trapped, but now we're free. We were lost, but now we are found. We were blind, but now we can see. Through Jesus, the kingdom of God invades the enemy's territory, disarms their rule and power, and frees God's people from sin and Satan himself, and then transfers us into a new kingdom. And see, when he says we transferred into the kingdom of the Son, he's not just talking about the change of location. He's talking about a change of authority in our lives. See, now we are free to enjoy the benefits of living under the rule of God's beloved Son. We are no longer slaves to a master who would seek to kill us and destroy us. We are slaves to a master who loves us and cares for us and redeems us and calls us his own and marries himself to us and calls us his very children. We have a master that suffered and died in our place who knows our weaknesses and knows that we are but dust. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus that he transfers us to his kingdom so that all that I have done that is wrong has been laid upon Jesus and all that he has done that is right is now given to me. That is the great exchange that we celebrate. That we, that we sing about, that we talk about an amazing love. And why that guy who wrote the song says, how can it be? Because he looks at his own sin and his own unrighteousness and says, how could God love me? And if we look within, we will never find the answer. We must look without. It is the great heart of God to love sinners. 
So we have a master who loves us and understands our weaknesses. He tells us to come to him when we are hurt, and he will bring healing. He tells us to come to him with our burdens, and he will give us rest. He tells us that not one thing done in our past, not one thing done in our present, and not one thing done in our future, not any power, not even death itself will be able to separate us from the love that he has willingly given to us. Now, how do we become rescued? Well, verse 14, Paul says how it happens. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That word redemption means to, it gives the picture of buying back a slave that has become captive and, and freeing them. That is what it means to redeem something. In other words, we were all slaves and on the block, and Jesus comes and makes the payment necessary to bring us back into his home. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, the price of our redemption, the price to forgive you, was paid in full through the blood of Jesus. The blood being a representation of his very life, his goodness, his purity. And now it's spilled out for you, laid on the altar, so that when God looks at our sin, he does not see our sin, but sees our sin through the blood of Jesus. That pure and spotless blood that has no wrong, that has no unrighteousness, that has no evil in it, is now covering you and washing you, as, the, as Isaiah says, as white as snow. See, God loves us in such a particular way that he willingly gave his own son to us. The beloved one, it says. It was not cheap what the father did. It was not cheap what the son gave. The price to pay for you to be forgiven is the blood of God's son. God gives us his son, his beloved son, his one and only son. You know that when you, when you read those words, it reminds you of Abraham. Abraham had a son. If you remember that story, Abraham was uh, part of the promise of God, where God said, I will make a great nation, a great people, and I will bless all people through your line. And of course, Abraham's looking and saying, I'm in my 80s, I'm in my 90s. When is this going to happen? And finally, Isaac happens in the miraculous birth. And what does God say after Isaac is born? Take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And on that mountain, Abraham got ready to strike down the son. And of course, an angel speaks to him and says, Abraham, stop. I know now that you fear God and provides a ram in the thicket. When God's son was on the cross, when God's son was on the altar, he did not hold back the knife. He allowed it to be plunged in the very heart of his son so that we, rebels, sinners, breakers of the law, could be called children, welcomed, redeemed, and forgiven.
Jesus willingly took all of the wrath of God that, was des- that we earned and we deserved upon himself so that you and I would never taste a moment of God's judgment or wrath. So that fires of hell would never even singe your clothing. Jesus offered himself up as a sacrifice so that you could receive his loving kindness forever. All the payment that was needed to make you right with a holy God was paid on a cross 2,000 years ago. In that moment, your freedom was bought. In that moment, you were redeemed so that you and I now would become the children of God. So considering that what Jesus has done how do we respond? What can we say to these things? I want to give you three things. There are more than this, but I want to give you three things to respond with. Every person is enslaved to sin and therefore needs to hear the gospel. Every person that you know, your neighbors, Friends, relatives, children, grandchildren are born with this enslavement towards sin. And they desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it must be the the desire, the purpose of the church to make the gospel known to our community, to friends, neighbors, and to nations. It cannot be a side thing that we do from time to time. It can't just be an evangelism week. It can't be reserved for mission trips, whether local or international. The the advancement of the gospel, the spreading of the good news, the sharing of the gospel must be on the hearts and minds of his people because we look at the realities of hell and of judgment that is most certainly coming and we cannot be quiet. We cannot be cold-hearted. We have to be moved by the realities of the judgment of God that's going to come on all people. We have to be moved that somebody willingly and graciously told us this good news as well. And therefore, we cannot sit back and idly just hope that they'll get it one day when God has put them in front of us. We must share the gospel with the lost. And it must be the the duty, the calling of this church as a whole to make the gospel known in its community. It cannot come second. It must be our priority. And we must get over ourselves and the fears that we have. And And I feel those fears as well. Those fears of, well, I say the wrong thing, or the fear that uh, uh, maybe I'll mess it up, or fear, what if they ask me the uh, question I can't answer? We must get over it and share the good news and allow God to do what God does, because you and I don't change a single heart, but our God does. He does not need you to be excellent at evangelism. He needs you to be faithful. When the people of God went into Jericho, How many of the stones of those walls did they tear down? How many battering rams did they have? 
What was their plan to, to get in? It's the dumbest military plan I've ever heard. I mean, honestly. Honestly, it is. I mean, if, you, if, 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 we, if the Ukrainian soldiers today were saying, we're just going to march around Moscow like for seven days, and we know God will win, right? That is, that, we would be like, they are nuts. And it's very interesting that God does that with the very first battle because he's trying to tell them something. He says, I do not need you at all. You be faithful to me no matter how silly or weak it looks because God uses the weak things of this world to shame the wise. It is not your strength. Paul will say that later, that it, that it was not his strength or his wisdom or his ability, but in his weakness, in his weakness. So if you're weak at evangelism, then you might be exactly who God is calling to go to your neighbors. Secondly, we are to live differently than how sin and Satan would lead us. We now belong to Christ and should live for him. Do we, have we forgotten to whom we belong? We are not our own, but belong to him. It, the Bible hits this in multiple places. I'm just going to uh, turn over to, to Hebrews chapter 12 and to show us what it says here. Hebrews chapter 12, as he's gone through this, this teaching of the gospel, it, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Notice that. Notice that we are to lay aside things and to follow. In chapter 13, he says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his names. And do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, when God transforms a life, when God speaks into your life, you cannot be the same. And therefore, our lives and the life of our church belongs to him. And so we live a sacrificial life to him. And so we sacrifice for God and we sacrifice for others. My neighbor's problems are my problems. My neighbor's need is the reason that God has let me know about my neighbor's need. Third, through the Son, we are beloved by the Father. And God loves you and has adopted you into his children. And so recognize that God loves you and cares for you. Sometimes when we talk about the judgment of God and the sin that we've done, we can forget something. 
sometimes we think about the forgiveness of God as just something that he maybe had to do, that he doesn't really like us or love us. Sometimes we talk about ourselves being dirty, rotten sinners, and we forget that that is who we used to be, but now we've been redefined as the children of God. And see, what I think we need to recognize is that God loves you. Not just future you. Not you in the heavenly realm, not you with the heavenly body, not you perfected for all glory. He loves you now. In fact, he loved you then, when you were at your worst. At your worst moment this week, that did not stop the Father from loving you. Your very identity is tied to his love. And I think there are too many Christians that are tied up with guilt, that are tied up with shame, that have been told from our evil master that still tries to come back and get a rule over us, he won't forgive that. People won't understand if you tell them this is going on in your life. You did that again? I thought you were a bastard by now. You should be better. We can fill our heads with that over and over and over again to such a point that we cripple ourselves and forget that, the, that God loves you at your worst, at your lowest you believe that Jesus really loves you? Has that idea captured you? Has it transformed your life? Are you settled in the fact that no matter what may happen, good or bad, the love of God will never leave you? that he says that if he has begun a good work in you, that he will certainly see it to completion. And as Romans 5 says, that if he is willing to do the hard thing of loving you when you were at your worst, when you were a sinner and an enemy, won't he now even love you more, much more, as Paul says, won't he love you more now that you have been redeemed and are his children? Well, if we who are wicked fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does the Father in heaven, know who is perfect, know how to bless and care for his kids? See, we're all kids of God. Bumping around, trying to figure out what it means to follow a father. And he, in his loving grace, willingly embraces you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you resting? Have you come underneath the mighty power of God's forgiveness? Are you so comfortable in his love and so defined by his love that it changes your entire trajectory, your entire life, your entire identity? so that you will join in the calls of Christ to make the gospel known to the very ends of the earth so that we do not rest until the knowledge of God covers this world as the water covers the sea.
He's calling on you to hear his story, to accept his love and forgiveness, and follow him. And to follow him means to take up a cross, but it is a cross willingly that you should bear. And in the cross, we find forgiveness, love, adoption. Because Jesus has rescued his people. All praise to his name. Thank you for joining us in our podcast today. To find out more about Fellowship Baptist Church, simply go to fellowshiplexington.com or join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1030 if you're ever in the Lexington, South Carolina area. Fellowship Baptist Church exists to gather, grow, give, and go for the glory of God.